Hey there, listeners. This is Jeremy from the show. We are looking for your feedback on the show and have an exclusive offer for you. If you are willing to leave us a review on the show wherever you listen to the podcast, we are going to give you Mike's serve selling course for free. All you have to do is leave a rating wherever you listen to the show, take a screenshot, and send it to askmike at mikemichalowitz.com, and we'll send you the coupon for the free course. This offer is exclusively for podcast listeners only. So please take advantage while there's still time. Thanks for listening to the show and enjoy. I want to thank our sponsor, Abby Connect. Impress callers, save time, and grow your business with a dedicated receptionist team from Abby Connect. Visit abbyconnect.com slash Mike M for more information. That's abbyconnect.com slash Mike M. You, you can't, if you're in the comfort zone, you can't yeah. learn the lesson. So if you identify pain, pain occurs when you try to, to learn. Yeah. In fact, pain to me is not a stop sign. Pain is just an indicator that you have something to learn, that you're trying to learn something. When people tell me they're stuck, I get excited for them. You know, I do a lot of executive coaching. And one of the common things is, Dave, no matter how successful, I, you know, I coach chairman of Fortune 50 companies. So, you know, really successful people. And they'll still tell me, I feel stuck. So you, you guys are, I hope you're going to love this podcast. This was Dave Meltzer. He talked about happiness and correlation to income. And his argument is more happy equals more money. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Dave, I think this is the first interview I've done where there's like a whole team listening. Yeah, we take notes, uh, use the repurpose and repromote your content. So try oh, to- that's awesome. I feel intimidated. I, I better not screw this one up. You won't. Okay, okay thank you. Um, so, you know, we were talking offline and you, you shared a, a, t- a tough story. I, it's about your mom. Um, and, and you provided for your mom and you had to take it away. Just give me the context of what happened here. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting. My, my dream in life was to buy my mom a house in a car. I grew up with six kids and a single mom. And the only time I wasn't happy was when financial distress, you know, the car broke down or not enough money for food or camp or college, whatever it may be. I'd catch my mom crying. So since I was five years old, my mom was so extraordinary. I just wanted, we had a two bedroom apartment with six kids, five boys and a girl. I just wanted to buy our house and a car. And I thought, man, if I could do that, then my mom would always be happy. And then my life would be complete, fulfilled, and I'd be happy. Well, I ended up being a millionaire nine months out of law school, buying her a house and a car uh, and learning to buy a whole bunch of things. Some I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. But one of the things that I did uh, was buy that house and a car that was purposeful and passionate for for me. But uh, in 2008, I ended up losing everything, over $100 million. And the hardest realization beyond telling Lee Steinberg, uh, who was my boss, I was the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world. The movie Jerry Maguire was made off of my firm. And uh, yeah. I had to tell him that his Midas, the guy that he used as the icon for financial success to recruit athletes, went bankrupt. Even worse than that, I had to go tell my mom face to face. I'd go knock on a door. Oh, you did face to face. That's, that's yeah, the only way I, I had to. Uh, and I had dreamed of her falling down like, you know, Elizabeth, I'm coming. I thought, you know, my, it was going to ruin my mom. I, I, I had no idea. Like I was so terrified of what this would do to her to tell her she was moving. Yeah. Uh, I lost everything and I did take her house out of my name. Uh, just a, you know, almost a, an air of, of logistics. I never, uh, I got gotcha. you. 
Um, and, you know, because I was so young when I bought it for her, and then I owned 33 homes, a golf course, a ski mountain. When you own that much, your last concern was, oh, did I ever take my mom's house out of my name? Uh, you know, I was so proud I just bought it for her. <laughs> anyway, I went up to the door. I explained to my mom in tears that, you know, I lost everything. And unfortunately, I lost her house and that she was going to have to move. And she looked at me with no tears in her eyes. I still am. It was years ago, I, you know, almost 15 years ago, and I, I still get choked up thinking of the moment because she just looked at me and said, hey, are you okay? Do you need to borrow any money? You know, what, what, are you okay? And she was so concerned about me that throughout my journey and understanding all the riches that I had attained and all the things that I had bought, that there to me was the happiness, the truth that I was going to pursue to be unconditional with what I do. I was a very generous person. You know, I bought my mom a house with a car, for example, but yeah. everything was a trade, a negotiation. There was always a tie to my giving. I was born and raised on the more you give, the more you'll receive. Right. That actually was a danger to me. And at that moment, I realized that I was going to focus in on receiving things through me for others, that the more I receive, the more I could give. And with the right attention and the right intention, that I could be greater and more abundant and unconditional than ever before by focusing in on receiving and having the worthiness of what I receive by giving it the purpose of allowing it to come through me with depreciation, which is a duality of gratitude and my values, and give it away. Yeah. And that was the shift in the paradigm. The catalyst was my mom's unconditional love, even though she didn't have very much to give. She was a, a financial means, right? She was a, a teacher who worked two jobs, teaching and filling up turnstiles at convenience stores with greeting cards. But she, you know, taught me and empowered me to be a good person, to live with gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration. So here's the big question. Does materialism matter? It does because we live in a material world. And I don't mean that in a it sounds very Madonna-esque to see. So yeah, yeah, sorry. But I don't because I don't mean that in a physical sense. I mean that in a vibrational sense that look, we live at this vibration. And I think people have difficulty blending two currencies. One of the currencies is money, an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. And if you buy the right things. Money can make you very happy. Unfortunately, I was buying things to make me happy. I was buying more things to make me happy, different things to make me happy. I always joke around. I was buying things I didn't need to impress people I didn't like. And that wasn't making me happy. But when I started buying community centers and giving scholarships to college unconditionally for the purpose and the passion of coming through me for others, I was more motivated to make more money to help more people and have more fun with my life. And that is a major shift in my relationship with money, because not only is money a currency, but faith became a currency of mine. Faith became an object of energy that I put into the flow to get what I wanted. So not only would I concerned in the material world that surrounded me, but I now believed in the uh, the faithful or spiritual world that surrounded what I sur that surrounded me. And that blend of both currencies has evolved into, you know, my main mission in life, which is to empower over a billion people simply to be happy. Yeah, no, I love this mission of, of, of people being happy. And I do want to ask you how to, how to be happy. But first I got to ask you, and I'm sure this happens all the time. How many people come to you and this yell in your ear, show me the money. Like, does that happen relentlessly? 
it, 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 less and less, right? We get uh, older. I, I, th- I, I love the fact that someone will bring up the movie Jerry Maguire and not know what it is. Uh, I use the movie Rudy, uh, which Angela Pizzo and David Anspar, friends of mine, we've done movies together. And I used it as an analogy. I said, you want to work here? Then you got to be like Rudy. You know, you got to be like Rudy. If you want to work here, I want someone that's that engaged and passionate about what we do. That's what I need from you. And the kid looks at me going, who's Rudy? (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. When when I was coming in here to to speak with you, I'm like, oh, I'm talking with Dave Meltzer. And I would say four people in unison yelled in my ear, show me the money. So let's get to the the happiness. I got to assume there's some skeptics. I'm skeptical. You had $100 million that you lost. It sounds like when you have $100 million, you have access to anything. Therefore, happiness is at your beck and call. Yeah, if you buy the right things with it. And, you know, when you don't, uh, you know, I one of the lowest days of my life, I built a dream home for my wife and I in Rancho Santa Fe. And I forgot to derive what I call the, uh, the formula of happiness, which was always my goal was to enjoy the consistent every day persistence without quit pursuit of my own potential. And that potential could be monetary gain as well. When I do that, I'm extremely happy. Well, I had attached my emotions to all these outcomes. I'll be happy when I graduate law school, when I'm a millionaire, when I'm a multimillionaire. Right, right, right. And all of them occurred. And guess what? It was like the monster at the end of the book. I was Grover sitting at the end of the book, attached all my emotions. It wasn't fear. It was happiness to outcomes. And I'm like, so where's the happiness? Right. Yeah. Where, where, where is it? I sat there going, oh, shit, I got nothing to do. So I started <laughs> sabotaging myself to give myself some challenges uh, of what to do by surrounding myself with the wrong people. The oh, wrong hold, on, hold on. You may just reveal something I never thought of before. Is sabotage when, when we achieve that success and I hear people sabotaging themselves regularly. Do you feel that in part of it's because of boredom to, to, to find happiness? We find it through potentially sabotaging ourselves. Oh yeah, I think we create our own challenges, resistance, voids, and shortages that we want to feel purposeful. And what better way to feel purposeful than to back ourselves against the wall or create some irritation in a relationship? Or People do it all the time in varying degrees. And even beyond that capacity of sabotage is the idea of not being worthy. So there's a whole Mm. other nuance of my energy that I was so blessed and I would look at my mom who I absolutely adore. I'm a mama's boy and I'm so grateful and I have, you know, Jewish guilt syndrome and everything else to please her. But, you know, it was very hard for me to accept that my mom made $17,000 a year. Yeah. I couldn't make that in an hour, you know, and, and a year. And I, and my worth, it, there was something that I couldn't reconcile in my own being that I was worthy of everything I received. And I still, to this day, one of my mantras, I meditate for 20 minutes in the morning is that I am worthy of everything I receive. Mm. I, I need to be worthy in order to know that, and, and what gives me that worthiness is to give the purpose of allowing it to come through me for others. You know, when it was four, I, I went from three world worlds. The first world I lived in, and a lot of people live in this world, especially now with COVID, I lived in a world of not enough. Everything happened yeah. to me. I was a victim. I would say, why do they have nice cars? Why do they have a dad? Why do they have a nice, why can they go to college or summer camp? Why do I need to do this? And I went from why me to try me. And it moved me into a world of just enough where everything was for me. 
And I would, like I told you, I was buying things to make me happy. I was buying things I didn't need to make me happy. I was buying things to impress people I didn't like to make me yeah. happy. And everything was for me. The problem with the universe of for me is there's still not enough. There's only enough for me. And what I learned through that transition, the lessons that I've learned through losing everything and finding my values and having great iconic mentors like my mom and other great leaders is that when I moved to the world of more than enough, where I surrounded not only what surrounded me, but surrounds what surrounds me, when I put faith as a, a, into the equation as a currency and really believed that it wasn't giving to receive, but I was worthy of everything I was going to receive because it was for the purpose of appreciation and giving it away through me. So when I went from a world of to me, for me, but to through me, I had purpose and passion and even profitability in everything that I did. And it created a greater alignment. It reduced the interference and corrosion of ego-based consciousness to stop what I'm already connected to, to believe that I'm just living an instant between limitlessness and infinity. Let me ask you this, uh, and I'll give you some context around it. You, you mentioned faith, uh, abundance, um, attraction. And I believe, I believe that people experience undivided faith in, in two scenarios where they're experiencing what they want and say, there's the proof or they're the, they're, they're the one in the foxhole with, you know, guns ring over their head and we're just praying to get us out of it. And that's when we believe, but it's in between where it seems we just continue on that path. I don't want to use the word mediocrity. I, it's the first thing that comes to mind, but this path of complacency may is a better choice of words. Where do we gain that faith if we're in the stage of ho-hum? Yeah, which is so interesting is that you, you can't, if you're in the comfort zone, you can't yeah. learn the lesson. So if you identify pain, pain, pain occurs when you try to, to learn. Yeah. In fact, pain to me is not a stop sign. Pain is just an indicator that you have something to learn, that you're trying to learn something. When people tell me they're stuck, I get excited for them. You know, I do a lot of executive coaching. And one of the common things is, Dave, no matter how successful, I, you know, I coach chairman of Fortune 50 companies. So, you know, really successful people. And they'll still tell me, I feel stuck. And I'm like, oh, congratulations. They're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, use the analogy of your kid's shoes. If anyone's had children and your kid's like, hey, my shoes don't fit. And you're like, wait a second. I just bought you a pair three weeks ago. How are you stuck in these shoes? Oh, because your foot's growing at an accelerated rate. Yeah. Now, incrementally, our senses and our memories are too stupid to see the growth of the foot. But we know it's happening because we're what? Stuck in the shoe. Yeah. So yeah. when you're telling me you're stuck, that means you're doing the right things. Let's lean into being stuck. I would say get stuck being stuck and understand the acceleration and growth because it becomes exponential in format because of compound interest and aggregate effects, which are also non-identifiable by our senses and our memory. You know, the human nature is so weak that we have a, uh, a faulty system. So, excuse me one second. Yeah, sure. I'll use so, that, time, that time to slug yeah, some water myself. Yeah, my alkaline 88. Uh, but we, we have this faulty system and most people don't get to where they want because 99% of the people quit before they're 25% of the way there because they don't understand compound interest. It's that yeah, simple. Yeah. You know, and I'll give you an example. This is my favorite example of life of the difference between these successful hyperactive people and those who don't get what they want. Those people that are stuck in that comfort zone, the ho-humness is that 
they set up on their journey. And let's say I told them and could predispose them to the fact that, you know, Michael, you're 20 years from getting to where you want to be. And what happens is our natural reaction is, well, in 10 years, I should be halfway there. Right. Right. right? But it's not. It's in 19 years. You'll be with exponent, you're halfway there because of compound interest. Things don't just go at an even pace. They build on each other. They aggregate. They exponentially grow. So what happens is 99% of the people will quit before they're 25% of the way there because 18 years is not in their conscious realm of memory and senses. They're like, wait a second. I'm just stuck. I keep on doing the same thing. I'm not seeing anything. It's been five years and I'm one sixty-fourth of the way there or whatever the percentage. Oh, totally. And I've done the same. My brand was built on this philosophy. I told Gary Vaynerchuk three and a half years ago at the Super Bowl when he said he'd help me because I helped him with the sports agency. He said, what are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for two ambassadors a year, two people that will get two people to watch everything I do and love me. He's like, What? I go, yeah, because in 20 years, it'll be 2 million people getting me 2 million people because 2 yeah, times yeah, yeah. 2 is 4, 4 to 8, 8 to 16, 32. Yeah, in five years, I got 64 ambassadors, but it starts getting up there in 15 years. That reminds me of the commercial in the early 80s, uh, the shampoo commercial, and she told two friends and so yeah, on. Yeah, and so, exactly. and so yeah on. the same thing. Uh, so, but, but here's a compound interest. So you're right, 10 years from now, I'm not at the halfway point. I want to give up. But, um, but what if... What if, the, and this was going through my head, at the 20-year point, I'm still not there. Like, what, what if there's an indicator happening right now? I'm not on the path. Are there indicators? Yeah, so here's the thing. Pain is an indicator, right? Pain is the indicator you're not on the path. Pain tells you you have a lesson to learn, and it's yeah. going to push you into a different direction. I don't believe in businesses starting and stopping. We can name businesses, put entities, the business, you close them and open them. Here's the general philosophy of growth, acceleration, and compound interest. I am happy where I'm at. I'm at the right place at the perfect time. I'm going to do everything in my abilities, capabilities, skills, knowledge, and desire to angle to what I want. So now it becomes critical to know your what, not your why. Your why will identify itself when you know your what. So taking inventory of your values, asking for help, being a student of time in your calendar, all these things will help you. But I'm happy where I'm at at the right place at the perfect time. I'm angling towards where I want to be, knowing my what. But here's where faith intertwines. I know that I'm going to end up somewhere better than I think. Mm. This is a key component to my Mm. happiness is that, look, I know then I'm going to end up somewhere even better. The company might have a different name. The job may have a different title. The girl may have a different last name, whatever it is. But I'm always angling with two laws of the universe, not only the law of attraction, but the law of Goya. The law of Goya is get off your ass. Right? You can't sit at home. <laughs> Cannot sit at home high on your mom's couch dreaming about what you want all the time. You'll end up sick, broke, and a mama's boy. You've got to get off your ass and implement the law of attraction. I'll tell you why. This is how the laws of expansion work with attraction in Goya. When, if this is a container with water right. and I expand the sides, it creates a vacuum. The mm-hmm. problem is most people don't utilize the law of Goya to put what they want in that vacuum. They start electing what other people want for them, what they don't want. They focus it on that. And then they're so surprised when they're filled with what? What other people want or what they didn't yeah. want. 
If they get disciplined and enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of that potential, fill your vacuum with what you want, all of a sudden, not only do you get what you want more of, but you get what you want faster. And so you're not waiting 20 years and not getting there. Those periods not only are years, but pretty soon you're, it takes one year to get to segment one, 11 months to segment two, 10 months to segment three. It, you might be down to weeks of doubling by the time you get to 20. So David, so in preparation, I'm like, oh, what's Dave Meltzer up to? I'm just going to do some Googling to see what, the, what news happened on you in the last week or month. The number one search I found for you, David, was David Meltzer's net worth. And to me, I'm like, oh, wow, this, you know, you're the people you serve are seeking happiness. If the number one search is net worth, is there an association of, of dollars to, to happiness? Is, is that what people think by default? Oh, for sure. For sure. And here's the irony. Happier people make more money. You're, you're at a Is higher, that true? Yeah. You're at a higher frequency. So we can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than you. When you are in a state of happiness, you're at one of your highest frequencies. I believe in plateauing and growing. In fact, one of the biggest uh, lessons that I try to teach is don't live the myth of Sisyphus. You know, so many people push the boulder up to the top of the hill every day and they start over at the end of the day. One of the key reasons why is they don't have an unwind routine. They don't understand that your tomorrow starts today. So my tomorrow is always in my mind in the respect that I'm working towards something for tomorrow. And two, I have an mm-hmm. unwind routine at 9 p.m. that allows me to plateau and grow, to create a higher frequency when I wake up than when I went to sleep or at least maintain the frequency and not live that myth of Sisyphus and just nine to five, redo everything in the hamster wheel, et cetera. So people equate in their own minds money to happiness in a variety of different ways. But I'd be here to tell you that if you focus in on being happiness, this will create the abundance. And Mm. if money is what you want, it will come. In your own story, it sounds like I hear two scenarios that played out in the, in the past. You got, you got that dream house, but then you felt empty that, that night, the first night you sleep in your dream house, you're feeling empty. Your wife comes and she says, I, I feel empty. She, she came to you later and said, I'm not happy. Yeah. Later. Um, yeah. Later on. And then, but fast forward today, you've accumulated even more wealth. You're of, of greater service and you're living in joy. Like how, how come in one scenario you, you have, all of life's success elements and are unhappy. And today you have it all and you are happy. I don't reconcile that for me. So I've created, you know, I'm very pragmatic and mathematical and I have questioned that through my journey. And I wrote the book connected to goodness to start on that journey. And it took me three years to write my first book. It takes me six months now to write each additional book, but it was based (laughs) off of values. And what I did is created a construct of number one, having a gratitude as a main priority, a non-negotiable, that I'm going to learn to love everything I do. I'm going to learn to find the light, the love, and the lessons. And everyone I meet, I'm going to learn the light, the love, and the lessons, and the pain. And, and so everything became, and I actually studied Sanskrit. There's 12 lessons, the first lessons of the world in Sanskrit. And it's, you know, I've been given a body, basically. Life is about lessons. Lessons will keep on coming until I learn them. They result in pain. If I haven't learned them, I will forget every lesson I ever learned, but I have the power to access all those lessons. Mm. More relevant today than probably when it was written in Sanskrit, because we do have such powerful access 
you know, you and I are old enough to know even, I was talking to a friend about finding definitions of words. And I look up every word now because of convenience where it was impossible. I mean, you really had to be a student to go look up a word that you didn't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Oh, you're yeah. not sharing the, the law dictionary or the regular dictionary with you wherever you went. Today it's just like, Siri, what does a revelation mean? Or, you know, whatever it could be. Yeah, you said a little uh, loud. My phone just went off, by the way. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Alexa's on the CIA. Oh, don't do that. Now my music will start playing. <laughs> That's so good. But it's so important to understand that philosophy. Um, let, let me explain because gratitude gave me perspective, which is everything. Forgiveness gave me peace. And so I went on to a journey of learning how to forgive what's unforgivable and learning mm-hmm. that I don't forgive other people because they deserve it. I started realizing I forgive other people because I deserve it. And more importantly, I can't give what I don't have. So I better learn to forgive myself because if I'm going to be an expanding and accelerating person within an expanding and accelerating universe, I'm going to have a lot to forgive myself for because I'm going to make a ton of mistakes and learn a lot of lessons. Then the really powerful one, which is applicable today during COVID, is how do we have control? You know, my, my, my biggest pet peeve right now is people are like, we're living in such uncertain times. And I tell them, hey, man, tell me what's going to happen tomorrow and I'll make you a billion dollars and make me a few billion. Go ahead. Tell me what's going right, to happen right, tomorrow. Right. So what has changed? Certainty hasn't changed. The degree of certainty has not changed in the world. What has changed is the acceleration of change. We we have got extended change. These are dramatic times. And I said, you know, as far as uncertainty, there's just as much uncertainty now that, you know, an alien ship could land in five minutes and anyone five, seven and under can be sucked up. And and this interview will end immediately because I'm 5'7". That's an uncertainty that I can't guarantee or deny but it could happen. But imagine the accelerated change that would occur if everyone five, seven and under left the, the earth on a, on a spaceship. Yeah. That's what we should be dealing with. And in order to deal with it, you need to know what you're in control of. And accountability gives me control. So I started living instead of in blame, shame and justification, where most of the world separates itself from one another. I started saying, what did I do to attract this to myself? And of course, what am I supposed to learn? Once again, mm-hmm. formulating into accelerating growth. And then finally, understanding the distinction between motivation, which I was an extremely motivated person. I was the captain of the college football team. You know, I was the little plug that could, you know, everybody, I was motivating. And I realized that motivation is a soul sucker because it takes so much energy. It will get you up. It'll get you back up. It'll get you started. It'll get you back started. But inspiration is where I wanted to live. When I started realizing I'm always connected to the greatest source of light, love, and lessons and power. I have more power in my pinky. It would light up Manhattan. There's so much power that actually can be registered and, and identified within my own body. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is I'm creating interference and corrosion between me and this great source. How can I change my will from getting what I want to clearing what I already have? Let me repeat that. How can I change my will? to getting what I want, which is where I live for a long time. Instead, I use my will to clear the way to what I already have, which is everything. And, mm, yeah, then, yeah. and then receiving it, adding to it appreciation, my gratitude and forgiveness and accountability and my values. So what? I can clear the same, use my will to clear the same connection to what I'm already connected to. A tree has no branches. 
we create interference and voids and shortages and obstacles and corrosion between both connections of inspiration, of being in spirit, of being in the flow. We are connected to an unbelievable source of infinity and everything else. And yet we spend most of our time creating a will to get what we want, which creates more interference and slows down instead of creating a will that says, how do I clear the connections to what I'm already connected to? It's, it's why I, I started uh, reading some of Stephen Hawking's work and it turned me on to this concept of the block universe. Have you heard of the block universe? Oh yeah. yeah. So um, in my basic understanding of this is that all possibility all exists at the same time. We're just living in different little vignettes or, or elements of all possibility, which then would correspond exactly with what you're saying. It's not what you want. It's already all exists. It's just what frame are you choosing to live in and you'll experience whatever you desire. But, but it was funny. You, you rooted this in forgiveness and you said, I forgive myself. How the, how the hell do you forgive yourself? I'd like to learn that one. Yeah. Well, it's a, first of all, it's one of my practices. I think learning the idea that there is no perfection, right? There, there's just a problem. Right, I'm a progress person. And so once I realize I don't know what I don't know and I'm an imperfect being, an embodiment having a spiritual journey, uh, it helped me understand that it's easy to forgive myself because number one, I have Wayne Dyer, I think the Xanders wrote it originally, rule number six has helped me a lot. Don't take myself so seriously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it really helps to forgive yeah. myself. And it's, it's amazing though. Uh, you know, how much time, money, resource, and emotion I uh, have wasted not only beating myself up, but worse, beating up other people for what I don't like about myself. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share one of the earth-shattering stories that I had that changed my life. It's about my father. So my dad left when I was five. And I'll try not to, to get too choked up. He was my hero. By 10, he forgot my birthday. My dad, he married a girl younger, you know, closer to my age, drove the convertible Cadillac. He was a deadbeat dad in the 70s, never gave my mom a penny. But I was too young. All I saw was the glamour and glitter. I used yeah. to sit in the station wagon with my mom going, why can't you be more like dad and talk about an angel? She wouldn't say a word. And yet he was not the person that she was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ten years old, he forgets my birthday. It was bad enough he forgot it, but he lied to me and said, I didn't forget your birthday, son. I don't believe in birthdays. Even though he celebrated his wife's birthday, my sibling's birthday, his own birthday, and it it completely shattered me that my dad was a liar, cheater, manipulator, overseller, and back-end seller. He was everything now that I could see why my mom, when he left, was so upset about. At 30, 20 years later, I'm a multimillionaire, just didn't move into that house that we talked about. I married my dream girl from the fourth grade, and, you know, Literally, he gives me a jacket for my birthday, the first present in 20 years. I open it up. I'm so excited because I want to reestablish a relationship with my dad. He had torn out all the pockets of the jacket. I immediately go into ego-based consciousness. I call him up. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you punishing me after 20 years again and sending me a jacket for my birthday that I can't even wear? And he calmly said, Dave, it's not for wearing. So why would you send it to me? And he said, it's to remind you that you can't take anything with you when you're gone. I want you buried in the jacket. I want you to hang the jacket in the closet and remind you every day that you're just like me. And I don't want you to make the same mistakes that I've made. Mm. Money can't buy you happiness. Now, I wish I would have told you I listened because I was so ego-based at the time. Sure. That I told him 
F you, you're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller. I'm nothing like you. Bye. Yeah. Ironically, why this changed my life? Because in two, six years later, I take my best friend, the guy who in the fourth grade at sixth grade camp, he actually asked my wife to go steady with me for me. And she said, no, tell him to ask me himself and embarrass me in front of everyone. Goes, Dude, she said no. So I threw an egg at my wife, which cost me like 20 years of her hating me before I could actually date her. But anyway. Did you say you I, threw an egg at your wife? Oh yeah, hit her in the back of the head. Her I mom was the yeah. best pickup move ever, by the way. You know, it worked. I'm persistent. Uh, anyway, here's the funny thing. He, we go golfing. I'm running Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment. So I said, yeah. let's go to the Masters with all these famous people. Curtis Strange uh, invited me back to the cabins. And he's a huge golf fan. And he looks at me and goes, I'm not going with you. I said, Rob, what are you talking about? He goes, I don't like who you hang out with and what you're doing. I'm like, come on, Rob. I'm not doing what those guys are doing. He said, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. Mm. Now, it's the first time. There's a book that's written that's called Don't Take Yes for an Answer. What was worse than the truth from Rob, which I knew inherently that I was doing the things that he said and I was surrounding myself with the wrong people, what was worse is I had realized that everyone had been blowing smoke up my rear, that everyone was telling me yes. And then two weeks later, I lie to my wife. I go to the Grammy Awards. She told me to stay home. I wasn't paying attention to work. I wasn't paying attention to my family. I had three daughters under the age of eight. And I should stay home with the family. I went to the Grammy Awards. I lied to my wife, changed clothes in the car with a rapper named Little John. Came home 5.30 in the morning, completely wasted. And there was my wife waiting. And I would tell you, this thing changed my life. She said, hey, I'm not happy, like you said. And I looked at her and she's like, you're not a rock star. You know, I sure feel like one. You know, and then she said that she was going to leave me. And that Mm -hmm. even worse that she thought I'd, if I didn't take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become, that I'd end up dead. Now, mm-hmm. I went to bed angry. I, I was in what they call ego-based consciousness, the need to be offended. How dare you? Look yeah. around you. This is yeah. my mindset. Nanny, cars, boats, motorhomes. Everything golf. you ever want. Yeah, You're happy. Money buys happiness. You must be happy. I wake up the next day. I'm thinking I'm going to take her happiness away. I'm going to take her money and my kids and do yeah, the yeah, yeah. angry dad thing. And then my life changed. I looked over and I saw the jacket in my closet. Like a book you haven't read in 20 years. Wow. My calling was that jacket. I still get choked up because I remember thinking, man, I do not hate my father. I hate myself. Wow. I'm a a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm an overseller. I'm a back-end seller. And I'm not happy. And I better take stock in who I was. And that's where these values of gratitude, forgiveness, and accountability and understanding at a preset inspiration. And I started practicing those. It was two years later that I lost everything. And thank goodness I had two years of practice because it made it so much easier. And here, 15 years later, 2020 is simple. It's been my best year ever. And I'm not ashamed to say that. A lot of people are like, I shouldn't say this. I feel, no, no, I'm worthy of everything I see. And I'm going to tell everyone this right now. You cannot be poor enough to make other people rich, but you can be rich enough to make other people rich. And I'm happy. I'm making more money, helping more people and having more fun than ever. And it's only going to help more people do the same. Wow. I, I love it. I, let me ask you this, because I know we got to start wrapping up, but I'm just curious about when someone comes to you and they're downtrodden, you know, stick a fork in me, I'm done. That, that's some of the folks you help. Where do you start to spawn happiness? 
it's for me very simple. I tell them the same thing. Number one, there are people, you know, suicide is what motivated me on my mission to empower over a billion people because there was 12 year olds killing themselves and 50 year old women. Like it didn't make sense to me. So I actually say, number one, you can seek professional help because I'm not a professional. But after that, I tell them really simple, be kind to your future self. They'll say, what? Let's go Mm -hmm. do some, let's go do some good deeds. It'll, it'll instantly change the way you feel. Go out there, pick up trash, put a cart back at the grocery store, smile at someone, go volunteer something, go do something, do a good deed. The, the frequency will change you and that habit will start attracting. You're going to start filling your vacuum, not with what you don't want anymore. You're not done. It's actually going to show you your value and you're going to start electing more of your value in your life, which will attract more people of value, which will continue on and you'll be fulfilled and passionate and purpose. The truth vibrates the fastest. And when you do good deeds, right, three things happen. You're happy. The person you did the good deed with is happy. And the most powerful thing about happiness, the greatest virus of all time, anybody that witnesses a good deed serotonin is released in their brain and not only mentally physically spiritually financially it all comes together in happiness it's the greatest virus it actually will strengthen your immune system so happiness will protect you against other viruses as well you know it's so funny is is you you speak the truth and i have i have a validation of it literally just yesterday on the bbc an article broke there was a race in england um like a, a marathon and the person who was running in third in the last 50 meters took a wrong turn. I don't know how to take a wrong turn, of course. Uh, and the person in fourth yelled to him and said, you're going the wrong way. Stopped and waited until he got back on track so the third place winner could win. And the fourth place guy, they said, you had an opportunity. You could have taken advantage and pushed this guy down. And he said, no, but he was the one who deserves to win. And he, the fourth place guy, has gotten more accolades. He's already been, this is a day ago, been invited to be a spokesperson for different sponsorships. The win is, is all sides. And the feel good, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. It's, it speaks to what you're saying. That's a perfect example. And that's why sports itself and competition is so great because it is a scarce format, athletic yeah. competition where there's a winner and a loser. But when someone rises above that, into an abundant state of giving, of peace, of gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, all these things, it truly inspires people. It might have motivated us to watch someone win, but now everyone is inspired by the good deed. I love it. David, one last question. What what football team uh, were you the captain for? Occidental. uh, Occidental. Occidental, yeah. Tiger. Oh. So yeah, I was blessed to play football in college. I always joke around the only college that would let me play. And I ended up uh, one of the best experiences of my life. That's fantastic. David Meltzer, it's been a joy connecting with you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Michael. Anytime. Remember, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Okay. I don't think any of us realized that you were jumping into it. <laughs> like that. But wasn't that fluid? Wasn't that fluid? <laughs> no, because I don't know where to start it. Conversation. <laughs> yeah, but the conversation started on a weird note, so it's like very jarring to just do it like you, that. You and I abuse our children, Mike. That's what we're putting out there. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. Isn't I think it's so funny the, the generations that we come from. So like Amy, I was um when we did Eric Estrada, Eric Estrada was the surprise guest at ProfitCon. Yeah, how did you pull that off? That's awesome. And he is 
extraordinary. Him and his wife, like what a beautiful couple. She was, she's her man. She's his manager. I think her name was Nadine and just was calling in, making sure the tech technology was in place. She's like, Hey, while we're setting up technology, she's like, let me just get Eric right now, just to make sure. Hey Eric. And he's out, he was outside at their koi pond feeding fish. She's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, come on in. And then we, we talked with him for myself and the coordinator at our office for a good 20, 30 minutes. And then he came on the show. That's awesome. It was great. And he was funny. And uh, I'm going to tell you something surprising about him in a second, but people from our generation, which I would say, you know, we're 10 to 15 years older, even though you can't tell by our looks, mm, Jeremy sure. and Kelsey, um, the people from the you know, group in the seventies and eighties, like, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. The people that grew up in the late eighties, early nineties, like who's this? Who is, this? Who is he? I know. Who is he? I know. It's unbelievable. I'm like, you don't recognize Eric Estrada. And they're like, no, yeah. No, I know. And how it is. I, I literally was stopped dead on the, on the feed on Facebook. Like, oh, they got Eric Estrada. That's amazing. Something really, like, my, yeah. I was going to say something funny that relates to that. Um, it was this last week. There was this guy on uh, TikTok. Who, this video went viral. He was lip syncing to um, Fleetwood Mac while he's riding a longboard skateboard and drinking ocean spray. Both of my boys sent that to me this week. <laughs> oh, they did? I, I, so, I saw that one. Yeah, but what's interesting about it is is because Gen Z had never been introduced to Fleetwood Mac. Now it's trending number one yes. again for like all their old hits. That's awesome. That's unbelievable the influence of that. That video was funny because he starts singing into it. Yeah. Have you seen the latest one where he's got a huge pumpkin on his head and he's got the tattoo that he has on his head on the side of the pumpkin <laughs> and he goes to take his coffee and he just pours oh, it yeah, all over his that. face? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same guy. Yeah. I suggested it wasn't. And my kids were like, no, it's him. I was like, oh. Ocean Spray gave him a uh, truck for that. Oh, because that's awesome. Viral, yeah. So um, let's uh, let's talk about Dave Meltzer. Um, <laughs> or Metzler, I should say. Oh, it's Meltzer. Now I'm, it's Meltzer. 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 Did I say Metzler in the introduction? It's Meltzer. I, I thought it was a fascinating presentation. I'm just curious what you all think. Um Maybe, Kelsey, you can go first. What was your takeaways? Sure. Um, so he said a few things that I really liked. Um, I really like when you talk about uncertainty. Like, <clears throat> I think it's just timely right now because I keep saying this. I feel like things are so uncertain in a way that it never has been before. But the reality is, is life is always uncertain. And we just take for granted that, that uh, you know, some of the routines and things that we have in place will continue on. But the reality is, is anything can change at any time. And I think that this time has taught us that. But the fact that he said that um, it was really affirming. It's always uncertain. Um, and so it's, it's you know, your ability to kind of process and hold yourself accountable for right now. Um, and what are you doing to control your situation right now? Mm. It's really important for us to remember. And I liked that point a lot. Jay Shlone. So I was thinking of uh, an analogy before we got on, excuse me, trying to figure out, you know, a good correlation between the, the money and happiness. And I think the, the best analogy I can come up with is um, some people, they actively want to find a relationship in order to be happy. But the right way to do it is to be happy with yourself while you're alone mm. before you get into a relationship. And I think it's the same thing with money, or at least this is what I've got from it. Basically like, you know, there's a certain level of money that you can sustain your life and live and not have to worry every single day. And I think that that's the sweet spot where then you can kind of change your perspective and learn to be okay with that. And once you have that mindset and you're okay with that, 
then the, the money comes and then it changes, but that mindset still continues on. Mm. And I think that's like a really powerful lesson instead of, you know, not to just constantly look for material things to, to gain happiness from. Yeah. It's like, you're not filling a void, yeah. but rather you're pursuing a, a, a mission, right? Like, yeah. what did yeah, you take him? He had me questioning a whole bunch of things. Like I definitely have some money beliefs that aren't necessarily like I had no money. I came from no money. And I think there's some undercurrent of a belief that I, I, I shouldn't have money or yeah. I don't yeah. deserve money. Um, <clears throat> so the last thing he said was like, what was it, Mike? I can't be too rich or my wealth never made anybody poor kind of a thing. And yes, yes. all the good that he could do with, with his wealth. So that full acceptance of all that um, abundance coming to him was cool and kind of like yeah, uh, perked my um, perception of, of that. And I also love the three worlds uh, when he was talking about not enough, just enough and more than enough. And mm -hmm. just the incredible metamorphosis he went through all of his stories, his father's coat in the closet. I mean, I was like, right Whoa, that. Mm -hmm. that was so great. I just loved his whole interview. Going to that jacket. What was interesting is, you know, his father effectively abandons the family and like, Oh, there's gonna be no reconciliation. So this coat, I'm ready for, this downward spiral, but the coat becomes a, 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 a moment for them to reconnect and that the, the lack of the pockets meant something. I thought that was really cool. I also thought the story about his mom, getting his mom the house and then mm -hmm. losing the house. Her response, I actually, again, chills right now. Think yeah. about her response. That is the essence of happiness, right? Right. Yeah. Um, that was a magic moment. And then he said something that's quite between the lines, but I made a note of it. He says, we must learn to forgive the unforgivable. Yeah. To me, that's the release. And the interesting thing, as I heard that about forgiveness, is it doesn't mean it's okay. It just means that it's concluded. Right, right. Yeah, I love when he said, um, was it gratitude gives perspective and um, forgiveness gives peace? Yes, I, think that's I wrote really that true. down too. Agreed. So uh, our listening friends, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are too in a rating and review. But I got a little bonus for you. Eric Estrada's story. I told you. I, I yeah, said yeah, yeah, yeah. So Eric Estrada, what do you think? So he was a uh, actor. He was the first mainstream Latin American actor on television. Can I just ask a question, um, Mike? He was Chips, yeah. right? Was yes. And the, okay. show was, the show was Chips. Yeah, the show was Chips. So he was a motorcycle cop. What do you think his career was after his, he completed acting? I didn't think he had one. Was he, he, a, mo he, was he a motorcycle cop? Yeah, I was literally going to say, was he a cop? <laughs> he became a cop. <laughs> Did no. he really? Yeah, he became a cop for a period of time. And could you imagine getting pulled over? That's what I was about to say. Yeah. I was like, what Am if I being punked? <laughs> yeah. He was a cop. <laughs> um, he left that. He, he did for a period of time and um, he moved on to another thing. He now is uh, in. Um, crime prevention around pedophilia and child pornography mm. raising money for it and actively doing it what was so amazing about his story is you know as the consumer of his work as an actor watching his shows you think that's the pinnacle of his career my thought yeah. was oh he's done yeah he leveled up again he's like i have he, he just feels this compulsion to contribute i said why did you become an actor like, why was that important he goes you have to understand up until chips Every Hispanic actor was a criminal. Yeah. I wanted to redefine the category for Hispanic actors 
and show uh, goodness. And then he's leveled up. The final question was, so what do you think about the Chips remake, uh, the movie? He's like, I, I'm so disappointed by it. He's like, mm-hmm. Chips was a family show. It was about goodness. And uh, he goes, that was a mockery of it. Mm-hmm. He was asked to be in the movie, I think on six or seven occasions by a producer. Finally, at the very end, the producer came to his house and said, Eric, you've got to come on the movie. He said, I'll do a cameo. I don't want a credit. I don't want my name listed. You'll see me walk by and that's what I'll do. But mm-hmm. um, he has a, a dislike for the movie because it just bastardized the Yeah, movie. I get it. Yeah. I get it. That's sad. Thanks. You know, it's really yeah. funny. Um, Steven Seagal, I don't think he is anymore, but he was a, uh, he was a marshal or a sheriff in a, in a small town. And so if you were driving through that town, it's possible that if you got pulled over, you get pulled over by Steven Seagal. And the karate oh chopper. <laughs> yeah. It's all over. With his squ- squinty eyes. Hey, we go too fast. Yeah. Have you seen right, recent pictures of him? What's that? Have you seen recent pictures of him? Oh, no. This is so not good. Not He's got good. more squinty. Yeah. He got more squinty. It's creepy. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Mike, I, you keep always cutting me off before the trivia game. Oh, gosh darn it. Yeah. <laughs> New trivia game. Uh, all right, so so here's the trivia. So the trivia is, you guys can guess what the topic is for this one. Come on, somebody has to. Police. Chips. But we weren't in- uh, Eric, that sh- wasn't the interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? That was Mike's story. <laughs> Good point. Oh Isn't that so funny? We're turning into sports. two daughters. Yeah. I'm going to say sports. Uh, close. Uh, Jerry Maguire movie Jerry trivia. Jerry Maguire movie trivia. Yeah, right, because yeah, he, he was Jerry Maguire. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> Lee, effectively, effectively it, was, it was based upon him. He is no, the Jerry. McCoy. No, his agency. Based on his agency, right? Not him. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's here's he's the, the bad guy in the movie, essentially. Yeah. So Lee Steinberg, which was his, uh, that was his boss, um, was the real life agent uh, the movie was based on. Oh, okay. And he appeared as a cameo as the agent in the movie for which Dallas Cowboy? Was it Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, or Emmett Smith? been a real long time. I'm going to say D. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's silently. So I'm, I'm with him using the same analytics. So that you just scratched out Troy Aikman because long time. Um, who was, who was that one running back for the Dallas Cowboys long time ago? Herschel Walker. Mm. I think he was with insanely good. Okay. Do you have a story about Herschel Walker? No. Oh, okay. I wish I did. <laughs> All right. Which famous singer helped choreograph Cuba, Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s famous touchdown dance? Cuba. Cuba. Was it Paula <laughs> Abdul, Mariah oh. Carey, or Christina Aguilera? I thought you were going to say Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one is, uh, while driving in his car, Jerry sings along to which Tom Petty song on the radio? Is it running down a dream, learning to fly, free falling, or won't back down? I don't remember. I know. That's how I picked these ones. So like any one of them could be yeah. good. I'm going with my first. Did you stick a pen in your eye? <laughs> uh, no, it's like my eyebrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> it looks like you stuck a pen in your eye. Okay, so question number one. Lee Steinberg, the real-life agent uh, that uh, the movie was based on, appeared as a cameo as the agent for which Dallas Cowboy? Deion Sanders, Troy Aikman, or Emmett Smith? So Deion Sanders. Emmett Smith. Deion Sanders. Troy Aikman. <gasps> no. All wrong. That's the one you were going to go with, Kelsey. 
Too new, too new. Okay. All right, number two. Which famous singer helped choreograph Cuba Gooding Jr.'s famous touchdown dance? Was it Paula Abdul, Mariah Carey, or Christina Aguilera? Paula. Paula. Yes. Yeah, Paula, Paula Abdul. Because oh. the other ones weren't known for their dancing. Yeah. Not like Paula Mariah Carey was not like a dance choreographer. She's known for putting her hand up and waving it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that was not his dance yeah uh and then three is while driving in his car jerry sings along to what tom petty song was it running down a dream learning to fly free falling or won't back down i said free falling free falling going with won't back down it's free falling oh, oh, oh my first man. instinct i'm like if he says free falling i'm picking it yeah as I was just listening to some Paul Abdul. I was, I was driving home last night. It was such a monster drive. So you, you listen to these radio stations, like, you know, as you're coming up mm -hmm. the coast and you get whatever they had like this Paul Abdul stuff. And, um, well, I can't remember the songs straight up. Yeah, that was it. You're, what is up with you? Straight up now, tell me you're gonna love me forever. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. He's just, just a hit and run. A hit and, and run. run. Like, no, 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 no. Are you gonna let me forever? Straight up now, tell me. So I was singing that the whole way. It was great. But she has some good hits, Paul Abdul. What were her other ones? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. You talk about the other one? Uh, she had one straight out. It was called Straight Out. <laughs> straight Out. <laughs> straight Out now, okay, tell me. Are you going to hang out with me forever? Uh, uh, uh. Like, that's why, that's why when you were surprised that Kelsey guessed it, it's like, that's literally the only one that everybody knows. <laughs> I, I got to Google Paul Abdul. What was the one? What was the video where it was like, um, the cat, Jessica uh, rabbit, like, yeah, the, the Jessica rabbit type yeah. thing. Opposites attract. Oh, that's it. That was it. And it was like the black and white. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold hearted. You're oh, cold hearted snake. Uh -uh. Wow. Was, wasn't she, yeah, I could be wrong on this, but wasn't she one of the first who had a music video on MTV? I thought she was. Not the yeah. first, but one of the first. I thought I could be wrong. First artist? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Forever Your Girl. Remember that one? Uh, I remember Forever, forever Your girl. girl. Yeah. Paul Abdul. But apparently she was not because she was not getting information straight up. <laughs> opposites attract remember opposites attract all right thanks no. for listening everybody it's been great <laughs> all right are we, are we done now that was a good ending right there right like, with the land on the joke are we are we done i think so yeah that was the end of the trivia all right everyone thank you for listening um please do seriously give us an honest rating and review are you enjoying the shows do you like these deep dives who do you want to hear as guests? We want to hear it from you. Yes. Send it to askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. Your questions, who you want as a guest, uh, we want to answer them on the show. And thanks for joining us. And make sure you subscribe. And you uh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a single episode going forward. All right, guys. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Customers no longer base their loyalty solely on price or product. Instead, they stay loyal due to the experience they have. And their customer experience begins from the very first call they make to your business. Are you still using an answering machine? I hope not. Did you know that 85% of callers who only reach voicemail will hang up and call the next place on their list? Don't let that happen to you. Inbound phone calls are still critical to growing your business. Get help from Abby Connect. Abby Connect is no ordinary answering service. They assign your company a team and then train them on how your business works. They set up appointments and consultations. Also, they have a new mobile app that allows you to make calls and send texts from your business phone line. People prefer doing business with people, not machines. 
Abby Connect can start answering your calls today, improving your customer experience while saving you time and money. It's easy to get started. Get a 14-day free trial with no setup fees and no credit card needed by signing up at abbyconnect.com slash Mike M. That's abbyconnect.com slash Mike M. Or call 833-ABBY-WOW and say my name. 